Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited to share this one with Zane Griggs. I met him down in Nashville at the Meat Mafia Health Conference, and it was really just a great time for me to get to know him, as well as his family and kind of what drives him to keep going. Zane recently wrote a book called Kicking Ass After 50, where he looks at helping men get on a, the right plan, which is, as we know, eating animal protein, optimizing their testosterone, and really taking their health seriously. So I hope you guys get a lot out of this one. Thank you for tuning in. What's up, Zane? How you doing? Great. How are you? Thanks great. for having me. Can't complain. Life is good. Good. Luke, it was yeah. great meeting you uh, this last week. Mm -hmm. So happy to hop on here and um, chat some more. Yeah. I guess I, I kind of embarrassed myself because I didn't know who you were before <laughs> I tried to introduce myself. But um can you just tell me oh, a little bit about your, oh yeah, you can go. Yeah, no, 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 it's no big deal. I mean, uh, there's, there was uh, quite a mix of people at the event and, mm -hmm. um, and there were a lot of them there I'd never met or wasn't familiar with until we hosted the event. So, um, it, you know, it was a, it was a great event. So basically I'm, uh, Zane Griggs, I've been a, a fitness trainer and health coach for 25 years, primarily in the Nashville area. Um, and I've kind of done my own uh, journey of trial and error, diet, and uh, finding out what would work best for my clients, looking more into longevity, more so than sports performance. That's what most, mm -hmm. most of my clients were interested in either weight loss or longevity. And um, just like I said, went through a series of, in my early 20s, before I was working professionally, even, even time of being a vegetarian, realized that was not a great uh, outcome for me. But through come over the, or since the 2000s, um, 2002, getting into low carb, seeing the benefits of that, uh, realizing that saturated fat was not our enemy, animal fats were not our enemy. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then 2010, uh, really started delving into intermittent fasting. And over the last four or five years, really realizing, uh, the, the nutritional benefit, the nutrient density of animal foods and how those really should be the center of our diet because of the bioavailability of not just the protein and the fats, but the, the minerals and the other nutrient micronutrients that are in those animal foods. And so mm -hmm. that's where I've kind of come, come to at this point where, uh, now it's managing that, uh, looking at, uh, and dealing with, dealing with clients who are most of them over 45, anywhere from 45 to say 70, and they're they're thinking about longevity. They're thinking about staying in the game as far as their careers go, or you know, to show up for mm -hmm. the families and be able to perform at a high level. And mm -hmm. uh, and that comes that really has a hinge point in their diet, like how well they're managing that. And so yeah. that's where I am currently with a lot of people just just trying to change some of the misconceptions that so many of us have had about diet over the last fifty years, and help uh, people really optimize their health. Many of them at a time when other peers, like people, other people their age are kind of letting off the gas or there's kind of out of control and they're on multiple meds and they might even have some preventable lifestyle disease that's keeping them from continuing to work or it's interfering with their work life or their family life. And, and really mm -hmm. just helping people prevent that, that, that happening from that happening to them. Yeah. I think part of it for people is that they don't, if you don't know like what it feels like to be healthy, you just think like everything's normal, I guess. So 
until like something goes off the rails you're kind of like i don't need to do it like you just push help down the line but i think it's great that for you like you're helping people over 45 and stuff but do you see like with your clients like they're just not even like concerned with help and they're able to like reverse a lot of the stuff that they've like done like um just not even i don't know like damage not saying like they're damaging their health but like um maybe like they're overweight and now they're able to get in shape even though they're over 50 now have you seen that with your clients at all well certainly they can turn that around if they if they address it's a lot harder over 50 mm-hmm. uh you have to be a little more del- disciplined and diligent consistent with its, those changes um especially with diet and sleep very very important mm-hmm. so diet sleep and fitness really all have to come together uh to to really create change there because the body's going the opposite direction the hormones are dropping um they just you know inflammation is a little bit higher their immune system may not be as strong as it was in their 20s and 30s it probably isn't actually and they've developed some bad habits along the way plus mm-hmm. their life is more stressful than it was mm-hmm. in their 20s and 30s yeah. so with job and everything else you know their career and so all of those things play a factor in their health mm-hmm. and the the thing they have on their side is they usually have more discipline and they understand that uh, the the importance of their long-term health. It's not really about looking good in a, in a bathing suit anymore. It's not about beach body and you know more weight on the bar. Uh, it's more about they're looking at their blood work and they're seeing oh there's problems here, or they're seeing their friends have problems that they don't want. So they're a little more motivated by things that matter to them when they see their job is threatened or they see that. Uh, they could end up in a hospital or having some sort of serious procedure and their life's more at risk at this point in their life. Uh, they're a little more willing to put some effort into it, put some effort behind mm-hmm. it and, and and make some changes. Because if you're going to reverse something, you take some more effort than if you're just sustaining. If you're just yeah. sustaining health, um, yes, it takes effort. But when you're trying to turn something around, you're trying to turn around, say you're trying to lose 40 pounds or you have some insulin resistance that you're trying to reverse or your blood pressure is too high. You definitely have to put in a little more effort to reverse that situation or it will continue to progress into something more serious. Have you found that people are willing to switch to the diet that you're like preaching about? Just, I don't know, because if you're over 50, you grew up with like saturated fat pretty much being demonized. So how do you try to tell them? And some doctors still are like, you need to eat leaner cuts of meat. and like cut your calories down, which is really not the way to go. Like we kind of know it's like saturated fat, just eat as much as you want pretty much um, to some extent, but um, not worrying as much about the calories. So yeah, have you found that your um, people you're working with are willing to consider that? You know, it's it's a hard argument for some. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on where they're coming from. It depends on what their, their background is in it. Uh, but it is a, it's hard to argue with someone's doctor. Um, I do have studies at my fingertips if I need to, to, to show mm-hmm. that the, um, that saturated fat really is not a threat to heart disease or is not bad for us in, a, in, in any respect. And that many of those studies trying to point the finger at saturated fat were actually, uh, really bad science, really just manipulated science. They were, uh, you had nutritionists paid off. You have studies being paid for by processed food companies. 
we have our own nutrition dietetics association that is paid for by processed food companies that are running their their internal memos past the processed food companies before they release them to the public. So we have a lot of um, evidence to show conflicts of interest and influence from uh, the processed food industry onto our dietary, whether it's uh, research or guidelines. Uh, but it's when their doctor saying something that definitely there's something saying the opposite. Um, it's it's normal for them to have some resistance to try to, to you know to flip the other direction. So it it I, that's all I have to say is basically it depends on the person. It depends on what mm -hmm. their experience has been, uh, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and yes, they've been hearing fat is bad, low fat, you know, uh, reduce meat, reduce cholesterol and all that for, for so long that, uh, it, it almost becomes accepted as, as foundation when there really is no foundation for it. And there are, it's, it's sad. There are still doctors who are, who haven't kept up with, uh, the science. They haven't paid attention to the studies that have come out in the last 10, 15 years. They're still telling people to avoid eggs because of cholesterol. And that was, you know, cholesterol was lifted from our dietary guidelines in 2015 that was after a lot of pressure because there was so much evidence that dietary cholesterol has no impact on on our serum cholesterol mm -hmm. uh, and there's nothing wrong with it and we actually need cholesterol it's a necessary uh, nutrient but our but our liver makes most of it right so we the education is slowly coming out um it's slowly becoming accepted it's not overwhelming yet i do find that people under 40 tend to be much more open-minded and accepting and informed mm -hmm. than like you mentioned, some of the people who are over 40 or 50 years old who have just, again, they've heard this pounded into them from the time they were kids. So, yeah. So. And I think part of the whole, uh, idea is when you think of cholesterol, you think of someone just like having like a heart attack. I know when I was growing up, they would like show videos of that, but it's, um, isn't it the precursor to testosterone? I don't know if you can, kind of go into your deep dive on testosterone, but without that, you pretty yeah. much lose everything else. So we use cholesterol to make vitamin D, which is like a hormone, essentially more than a vitamin, vitamin D, very important for health, cholesterol, women, well, actually like progesterone is used uh, by women to make cholesterol, I mean, by cholesterol to make progesterone, excuse me. And I believe even cortisol. So all the sex hormones, estrogen as well. Mm -hmm. And I believe cortisol is made by a cholesterol, it's a, it's a stress hormone, if you're not familiar with it. So what if you look at the, uh, yeah, there, so it's a precursor. So it's like the building block. If you look at a molecule, a cholesterol molecule, and you look at the molecule of a testosterone or estrogen, progesterone, they look very similar with just a few changes. Mm -hmm. So our body uses that cholesterol as a building block for making those hormones, which are vital. I mean, we can't yeah. survive without them. Plus, uh, every cell membrane in our body is made from cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So it's vital for the, the membrane to be fluid and to be healthy, to have animal cholesterol in it. When we start getting phytosterols or which is plant fat, plant-based cholesterol, so the plant version of cholesterol, we start having problems. We start having rigidity, more rigidity than we really need in those, in our cells, in our cell membranes. Mm -hmm. So it's vital. And, and you know, besides our liver and our kidneys, 
uh, every cell in our body, except for maybe a few, but 90%, let's say 90% to be safe of the cells in our body, create their own cholesterol. Our brain is, I believe, 15% cholesterol by weight, and it generates its own cholesterol as well. So we've got cholesterol all over our body. We're making it all yeah. over our body, but somehow it became the enemy of health. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense physiologically. And I think it's going back to that study you mentioned where it was like they had, I don't know, like the sugar companies kind of paid them off to make sure that it like looked like the numbers were skewed and like that's what we're basing our food pyramid on. So, and all Correct. of the people that are over 50, they grew up on the whole like grains diet pretty much and like cereal every day. So it's like, yeah. Correct. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well paid for by Kellogg's and, and uh, General Mills and all the big processed food companies. Yeah. Is that what inspired you to write your book with Ken? And like, how did you get into that whole thing? Well, I mean, I, we've, we both talk about that. That's something we both talk about on social media as, as do many, but Ken was on uh, my podcast back in 2020 and mm -hmm. we're, we're within a couple of years of each other. We're close to the same age and I was about to turn 50 and he uh, mentioned, said, just mentioned, he said, would you want to write a book for, for guys like us who are 50, mm -hmm. but they, you know, they, they need to turn the life around. They need to understand you know some simple steps to really make that happen you know what, what does that look like for them you know they, they, they a lot of them are probably lost they're, they're mis misled by these guidelines we're talking about uh, i was like absolutely let me know and so it was a bit of a process of just throwing our information together and then trying to whittle it down into something that was legible and understandable uh for everyone else uh, but uh, so that was that was more of the process was to whittle it down. We had all the information. It was just how do you make this make sense with two people talking and yeah. uh, and in a way that everybody else can understand it. But that was the that was the inspiration because there's there's so much there's a lot written for women's health, and uh, these concepts are really the same for men and women. Well, diet, exercise, and sleep. We stick to the real basics. It's diet, mm -hmm. exercise, and sleep for the most part. That applies to everybody, but we wrote it in a way that was very straightforward, very, mm -hmm. um, you know, no softball pitches. Basically there's a lot of straight talk. There's a lot of tough yeah. talk. There's a lot of, Hey, you know, come on, buddy, let's, let's get this going because, uh, yeah. uh you, you know, you're not looking so good. And, yeah. you know, kind of like the, you would guy to guy talk is basically what it is. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's something we wanted to create because it, it could keep things very simple, very concise and stick to the basics without getting too complex. And that make, would make it easier to put into place for your average guy. Yeah. I liked how in the book too, you kind of outlines like the whole, like just sitting on the couch and like watching TV and yeah. like, I don't know, it's just like people don't think about that. That's the progression. Like if you just do that during your free time, it's eventually going to become your whole like, I mean, you just lose your hobbies if you're not doing anything. You're just sitting on the couch pretty much. Right. It starts stealing yeah. your energy. It steals your drive. It, it'll, um, and sometimes it's a, it's, it's a result of lost energy and lost drive and lost purpose. Mm. And that's something I think we all need, however old we are, whatever age, we need a purpose. We need something we're going after. We need something we're chasing. And many guys, when they retire, they lose that. They lose mm. that thing that they're after that thing they're chasing a thing that, that gets them 
got up and moving and going. And, um, and so if, whether you retire or you find a way to keep working, find something that, that you want to pursue, find something that gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you motivated to be in the shape and the health to pursue it, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't end up spending your days with a remote in your hand, you know, just flipping <laughs> channels and, and yelling at the TV. Um, that's not, doesn't make for a happy, happy guy at all. Yeah. Part of the thing that I noticed from like everyone at the health conference was that they're all like against most of them drinking alcohol in any fashion or just like limiting it a lot. So for your clients or just people in general, how do you address that? Cause like some people like that's like their wind down or whatever. And for the people that are like into health, they know that's like tanking their sleep and testosterone and all that. But for people that are just trying to get healthy, how do you tell them, all right, you got to, cut the booze as well as like get your get in shape and start moving more well yeah it's, that is a tough conversation because that's something that a lot of people do rely on to especially um, career guys but they rely on it to unwind mm-hmm. and uh really it's really showing them the detriment of that i um, it will slow your weight loss it'll raise your blood pressure it will ruin your sleep um it, damage to um, cognitive function. If there's a lot, if it's, you know, significant, consistent, uh, you know, drinking on most days, and it's even shown to increase, uh, cortisol levels or stress hormone levels when you're not drinking. So if you're drinking a couple drinks, one or two drinks a day, five days a week, or you're having three or four on the weekends each day, you're, it's shown that your cortisol or stress levels are going to be higher. Stress hormones going to be higher on at the times when you're not drinking. So you've got this stress response, hmm. but you've got the to the thing that you're using to decrease stress. Yeah. So while you're drinking to decrease stress in the moment, it's increasing your stress after the <laughs> um, after the, the, the alcohol is worn off. Not great. That's another reason it, hmm. it throws off your sleep. So uh, it, it really comes down to what what are they after? What do they want more than that drink? And that's the hard part to to find. It's like, what's going to motivate someone to realize that that is not serving them and a way to at least scale back, at least Mm -hmm. limit it to certain days or a couple, you know, a couple drinks a week, um, at least while they're trying to turn something around and then, then reassess and say, okay, what, what's a, what's a, an amount that you can manage that you can that gives you some pleasure. You get to enjoy it when you're, at certain times, but still allows your body to sustain health, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I found that people are having more than two drinks a week, two drinks a week, or it's one drink on two yeah. different days, or two drinks on one, that greatly limits weight loss. Like you can either stop it, or at least cut it in half at the at the pace that you're moving. Yeah. And when you can pull that back to two drinks a week or less. Uh, weight loss can usually be a little more, more consistent for most people. So for people that are really like into processed foods in general, and just like eating too many carbs, like what's Mm -hmm. the, is intermittent fasting your number one, like go to, to kind of like cut back on that or just don't eat carbs in general, I guess. But Mm, intermittent fasting can be helpful to, to uh, curb appetite. But for many people, that sounds scary, you know, at mm-hmm. first, if they're used to eating. So if they're, if they tend to be carboholics, they're probably eating often yeah. as well because their blood sugar is going up and down and the energy levels are low. And so 
if they don't eat, you know, so basically their blood sugar is doing this. And they're trying to eat to pop their blood sugar up. Uh, so I really try to focus on food quality first and, uh, you know, get them to maybe eating three meals a day, but no snacks. So if you can go three meals a day, no snacks, and then we start cutting back the carb intake, then we have uh, the blood sugar correcting, the appetite starts to become more normalized or they have more, yeah. more satiety. So yes. in replacing the carbs with something else that's gonna give them more satiety is usually a better, uh, more effective solution, mm. like increasing meat and fat consumption and decreasing the carbs, it, it will start to offset, give them a couple of weeks, but it'll offset that appetite and those cravings. And then the cravings die down. Uh, and so when you feel like you need the intermittent fasting to help with weight loss or something else, then you can start including it. But I, to include intermittent fasting right out of the gate for many people who are on that cycle of eating five, six times a day and it's a high carb, that would be quite a hard corner to turn just yeah. like that. You know. And so, also I think it might just, make them like kind of like irritable throughout the day and stuff and oh just, for sure yeah but yeah i think starting with like just 12 hours maybe like i don't know don't eat like two to three hours before bed like that's a good start get your right. right three meals within a 12 hour period or if, if you can move towards a 10 hour period so you have at least a 12 but ideally a 14 hour fast and i don't consider that intermittent fasting i consider that just a healthy uh eating schedule yeah. intermittent fasting i think it was like 15 16 hours or more Mm -hmm. uh, 12 or 14 hours, I think should be normal for yeah. most people. It's and just not normal. Cause like we're eating like around the clock pretty much and like five meals. So. Right. Right. Now, yeah. if you spread three meals out over a 12 or 14 hour period, but if you're still only eating three meals without snacks then yeah, that can work for you. If that's what your schedule, you know, requires of you, um, you're still only eating three meals and I mean, yes, that and but but for instance, it goes from, you know, 6 a.m. and then your last meals at, you know, 7 p.m. OK. That can work as long as you're eating one lunch in the middle of no snacks, that could certainly work. But ideal would be within a 12 or 14 or 12 hour period. Yeah. Uh, for, for just normal, normal meals, normal blood sugar um, and, and correcting some of these symptoms of metabolic disease. Ken Barry was like preaching pretty much like one meal a day. And I don't know if that's like right for everyone, but I think for some people that are like kind of like more similar to me, where like we kind of like tend to like store fat and just like, mm. I don't know, it's harder for me to like um, keep my weight down. I mean, obviously, like I'm trying to be healthy and stuff. So that's part of my lifestyle. And it's not like I'm struggling too bad, but mm. for some people who, aren't like the hard gainers, but on the other side of things, do you think like not exactly one deal a day, but like, like a strong, like fast is like really beneficial. Cause I find like, I'll have like mental, like more mental clarity as well when I'm fasting than um, if I eat a meal. Right. No, I think it's something you work toward. Um, I, I, what I meant earlier was that you moving from six meals down to one or two a day can be a hard turn. And I would say progress mm. towards it without, so it doesn't yeah. throw off your life and your schedule too much. Once you get to that three meal mark and you feel like you need a little more help with mm. whether it's burning fat or changing something metabolically, uh, definitely a, a very low carb or no carb diet that's two, one or two meals a day could, could be very beneficial. I think he usually eats two. He eats when he's hungry because he's metabolically okay. healthy now. Yeah. 
um, I think one meal a day, every day for many people can be pretty stressful from a cortisol yeah. standpoint. I think you could do it for a time. If you're trying to move the needle on something, it might be a short term, uh, kind of move or short term lever to get from point A to point B with your health, uh, long-term sustainability. It really depends on the person and, and how mm. well they manage that. For some people, it would be a little, it'd be too much stress for others. Yeah. They seem to do really well on one or two meals a day and just eating when they're hungry, eating a big meal or two, um, to satiety. Mm. And, uh, it, it's, you get that mental clarity for sure because of the ketone production of the, there's a little bit of stress hormone released too, which helps bring some clarity. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it, it does, it does depend on the person to some degree. But again, if you're trying to move the lever on something, if you're trying to make a change and you want to do three or six months of something that's a little more, if you want to call it for lack of a better word, extreme or something that's a little more, a little harder to, a, a little harder stress lever on it metabolically, uh, then that really is the best way to make a lot of progress quickly. Yeah. I think it like kind of speed lines it just because every single time right. you eat and pretty much you get the blood sugar spike, even if it's like just meat in general. But um, how do you tell people as far as training who have like never trained? Like, I don't know. How do you get them into it? And then how do you, kind of tell them like you don't need to go crazy in the beginning just kind of ease into it um, you just tell them that and pretty much like tell them what to do and um, yeah i try to personalize it depending on whether they have injuries or uh depending on what their condition is you know if mm. they're if someone is is only you know only wants to drop 20 pounds it's very different than somebody who's trying to drop 100. yeah uh, so it really depends on where they're starting from but as far as strength training goes, uh, usually, generally speaking, stick with compound movements. So large movements like squats, lunge, you know, some pushing and pulling. Um, I usually tell people starting out, try to do a little bit of everything. So like a full body workout, you know, a couple sets of pushing, a couple set, few sets of pulling, uh, a little bit of leg work, maybe some core stuff like a plank, a little simple plank or some twisting you know, like get a band or a tube and do a little twisting and keep it real simple and just develop the habit. I think developing that habit, even if it's just for 20, 30 minutes of a, of a workout, right? Two or three times a week is a good way to start. You'll start retaining some muscle, stimulate the muscle, wake up the nervous system. And then from there, decide what direction you want to go in. Do you want to increase the intensity? Do you want to increase how much, how much, uh, you're actually lifting. So it's a little bit longer workout, you know, put more mm -hmm. sets and, and reps in there, but, uh, movement at general is important. It doesn't all have to be in a gym or in a strength training situation. I think it's important for retaining muscle, holding on to muscle bone density. You need some element of that. So half hour, three times a week, full body workout that can certainly be beneficial. And then find something you just like doing, find something, whether it's taking walks or something more dynamic, like, um, cycling, mountain biking, playing tennis, pickleball is kind of a big thing right now. Just yeah. get moving, you know, especially mm -hmm. outside. If you can get outside and move and sweat and it's something that's fun and motivates you, then that's going to be real beneficial because you're more likely to do it, more likely to be consistent with it. And your attitude's good. 
with mm. it, right? You're not grumpy about it. You're not, it's not <laughs> something you've got to trudge through and hate. And it's something yeah. you can do with other people. If you want, you can connect with other people that way, but try to make it as positive as possible with a little bit of intense activity. Yeah. And then, and then just get out and move. That's what I'm trying to like tell my dad. I'm just like, just start doing something, you know, it's just better than anything. Um, but to get yeah. back to sourcing your food, or I want to ask you about sourcing your food. Do you care about that at all as far as where it's coming from? Um, Cause I know that was like a big part of the conference we went to is like trying to like support the local farmers, but Right. Um, for yourself, obviously you probably try to get the best you can, but do you try to educate people that are not, um, I don't know, just buying whatever food, do you like try to educate them on that at all? Or uh, it depends on the work? person, you know, if yeah. I look at what they're, I know where they're coming from, what they can afford, what they're trying to do or how much they're trying to change. Mm. Um, I try not to change people too quickly, uh, yeah. change their habits too quickly. If they're looking for the best or they're curious about the best, then I would definitely direct them, you know, towards a local farmer, try to find something like grass fed beef or lamb yeah. or something like that, pastured pork. But not everyone is there, you know, and not everyone is going to spend money, the little extra that it takes to, to get that, to source that way. So I just try to move in the direction of positive habits, right? Mm -hmm. And then layer in change once they've got a sustainable amount of change in the right direction with the right food say hey try maybe try bringing this in you know try try sourcing a couple times a year from a grass-fed pasture or you know grass-fed excuse me uh rancher and you know it really explain why what the benefits are what the impact is on the market of supporting mm -hmm. those ranchers but also the benefits to the, um, the meat and the nutrient density of that meat. Mm. But food quality is always important. It just depends on what that person uh, is able to do financially or logistically. There's always like, a, there's a good, better and best where it's like best. Yeah, that'd be great. Best case scenario, we get all our food from a, from a farm or a ranch. But that isn't. I don't let that stand in the way of making change. If what all you can do is just get to the grocery store and get the best that the grocery store's got at the, at that time, or with the best that you can afford at the grocery store. And that can be yeah. really simple. So that I tried one to of the let things it, I took away. It was just like yeah. from the conference it was like, you could have the worst quality meat, but it's still going to be better than eating anything in a package. Um, Correct. Pretty much. So, so that's a good, better, best. So good is go get, you know, stick to the, to the meat and dairy section, the grocery store, if you do a little bit of the produce, great whole food and avoid the processed stuff. Like single ingredient food is always gonna take you farther than anything down the aisles that's multiple ingredients in a, in a box, a bag or a bottle. Mm -hmm. For people that are like over 50, that are like kind of struggling with their habits, maybe, um, I don't know, it's kind of difficult for, I think a lot of people because they had the phones introduced to them, like kind of in the middle of their life. So it's, I mean, obviously the kids too, it's, it's, we've had it like in the middle of growing up, but we were always used to having it. So I guess mm -hmm. there's a little bit more like familiarity, but how do you kind of tell them like, don't use your phone before bed and this like stuff that, I don't know, it I just see. seems like it might not move the lever, but like stuff that, um, I don't know, definitely does at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I try to explain. Well, a lot of people who are over, say, 45, 50 years old, they struggle with their sleep. In fact, mm -hmm. most of the people I talk to, they struggle with their sleep. So when you drive that home, it's like, look, this, these devices being close to your face within three hours of bedtime are stimulating your brain in such a way that it's like daylight. And it's telling yeah. you to stay awake and throw off your circadian rhythm. And just explain that. Mm -hmm. uh, that is often motivating enough because they've tried everything and their sleep is still bad, especially if they have those kind of habits um, and, and, and get them to start changing their habits with something that motivates them. So rather than just being about the science of it, explain the science, explain why that works. So they understand they can connect that habit with their bad result, but, but remind them it's like <laughs> you, you have bad sleep for a reason. It's, yeah. it's, it's probably tied to some of the things you're doing. And this is a simple thing you can correct put on some blue light blockers two or three hours before bed and stay away from a, a phone or laptop or a iPad of any kind, any kind of screen that's within arm's reach of you is stimulating your eyes and your brain and throwing off your, your sleep patterns. And many times that's enough because they, again, they're struggling with sleep anyway. Mm -hmm. So they'll do almost anything to correct it. Have you ever it's, told people to like, buy like a whoop or like anything like that because i know i used that for a little bit and like i realized that like i wasn't sleeping as much as i thought in the beginning and like I don't know, even if you like say like oh i was in bed for this amount of time like a lot of times people just be like laying on their phone and they're just not even actually sleeping obviously if you eliminate the phone but still like a lot of people have insomnia so they're not sleeping right. as much as they think so oh yeah um or ring and whoop are two of my favorites for to, to recommend to clients who are trying to monitor yeah. that i use or ring i have a client who loves his whoop um, i have one who has both <laughs> so <laughs> it's um both are great devices that something that might appeal more to one than another person if you're doing a lot of fitness stuff and you want to track that whoop is great for tracking a lot more fitness metrics uh aura is real simple uh sleep I, I i like it i like the metrics i'm getting on it uh, but I would still, I would use a whoop as well. So I could recommend both of those and just mm -hmm. find the one that fits best for you. But yes, to give you metrics on how long you've slept, when you woke up, what your heart rate's like, your body temp, deep sleep versus REM sleep versus light sleep. All those things can uh, give you an idea of the total quality of your sleep with measurable metrics. So if you start changing your habits to improve your sleep, you can then see over time that these metrics are improving, that you're getting more deep sleep. You're spending more time asleep rather than awake or your heart rate staying low enough throughout the night it's not waking you up with your heart pounding staring at the ceiling at 3 a.m mm -hmm. so those are those are things i think that can give you some insight uh to make sure that your habit changes are actually uh, paying off but it does i would say allow it to take time it's often 60 to 90 days of con being consistent with new habits uh for it to show up in your sleep on a regular basis for you to really see the significant sleep improvements on a regular basis. It can mm -hmm. take two to three months because I you're changing your circadian rhythm, you're changing hormone patterns. And so that's a lot of times though, people overnight. before, like before they start sleeping well, they don't realize that they're just like chronically like tired. And a lot of times right. that leads to like, I don't know, just craving carbs and like food, like right away. And it's like, if you just get a good night of sleep, you'll recover a lot better. I think so. Yeah. Cause it elevates insulin levels. I mean, so when you have low, when you have poor sleep the next day, especially like, let's say five and a half hours 
or less, five hours or less, I believe was the, the studies looking at it. You have ins elevated insulin levels, elevated, it's called ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone. It stimulates hunger. So those two hormones are elevated. Cortisol levels are also elevated. So you're going to be hungry. You're probably not going to be making great food choices because you're just trying to feed your uh, pain, your stress. You're trying to shut down that stress. So you're going to crave the starchiest, fattiest things. You're going to crave things like ice cream, donuts, fries. French fries, yeah. you know, terrible stuff, right? <laughs> so it's going to trigger cravings. And this is, and this is chemical. I mean, this is something they've studied and seen even in young uh, med students, right? Guys who are having these, these, these long uh, clinical shifts where they might be, you know, they've tried to limit that in more recent years, but they were looking at this when they were doing 18, 20 hour shifts and getting three or four hours of sleep a night. And after as little as four or five days of that, they had blood sugar levels that looked like diabetics. Yeah. So it really doesn't take long to have an impact on your metabolic hormones and stress hormones. With and that's like just like a free thing. It's just like dial in your sleep and yeah. I don't know, get right. What do you think is like the reason that we got to this point? Do you think it's like the phones, like the food or like what is the number one factor as far as like people just being unhealthy in general? Hmm. No, I don't think it's the phones. I think it's the processed food because that's been coming into our, our system since uh, our food system since the say early 1900s when we started making these processed seed oils from uh cotton seed oil and then when we moved to soybean oil and then canola and we and then we're telling everybody the i should say the uh the dietary guidelines the people who are making our dietary guidelines and nutrition recommendations are, are they're vilifying saturated fat they're saying processed food is fine because it uses more polyunsaturated fats these seed oils and we can really see how in the 20th century when these seed oils and these all this processed food which is basically processed food is just processed oils processed grains and processed sugar all rolled together right mm -hmm. uh that's when we saw the increase in heart disease obesity diabetes type 2 diabetes now type 1 diabetes is a different disease but type 2 diabetes we really didn't see evidence of it or start tracking it until um this 20th century, like 1930s, I think they discovered it. In 1950s, they started tracking it. Heart disease was almost negligible, like non, almost non-existent prior to 1912. Our mm -hmm. obesity rate in 1900 was like 1%. Now it's 42%, predicted to be 50% by 2030, 2032, something like that. So it's crazy. We've never been like this before. These are preventable diseases that we've brought on ourselves through diet. And the correlation is it really matches up pretty well with the amount of processed food that we're eating, the amount of seed oils we're eating. We've always eaten butter, lard, tallow. You know, we've cooked with those things. We've always eaten meat. We have, those are traditional foods, hmm. but we, these are modern diseases. And so blaming traditional foods for modern diseases, uh, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, that doesn't even, doesn't make sense. Why are we looking at those? Why aren't we looking closer at the new addition to our food system, which is these processed foods that correlates really well with our new diseases and new levels of obesity. That would make a lot more sense, but no one wants to pay for that because that's the people that pay for our studies and, and pay for, uh, will fund our nutrition guidelines and, and nutrition recommendations are the processed food companies making the processed food. Mm -hmm. So, 
um, it's not in their best interest to fund studies to show that their product is is what's causing this disease. So that's kind of that. But that is, in my opinion, how we got here. We, we always ate. If you, if you go back to how we ate, like on a farm in the mid 1800s, hmm. we're eating a lot of things, but but it all was in a whole food form. We created it. Right. I almost think that like if you just animals. eat everything from a farm, you're gonna be like completely healthy. Like just eggs, you will. meat, butter, yeah. like yeah. Exactly. Do you think are, like, these... that's that scares you at all? Just like the whole vegan thing and just people kind of vilifying meat? It's it's I say scares me, bothers me that it's becoming it's one thing if people are just expressing their opinion. And people are talking about this is what they want to do then everyone has a right to their own health journey but when we start codifying it when we start making it making laws around it to reinforce mm -hmm. it and, and we're, we're having meatless mondays and vegan fridays in schools which are basically pulling meat away from kids who need to be uh, getting this meat uh on a regular basis for for the growth mm -hmm. and for anyone's health like army hospitals all this is moving that direction now we have a government pushing this agenda and a government that's governments, local governments talking about uh, tracking meat consumption and trying to limit meat consumption in the name of a, limiting a carbon footprint. Yeah, that's very dangerous because does it we're, have, we're does meat sacrificing have any, any environmental impacts? Does meat have any environmental impact? Yeah. As uh, far as like the feedlots or well, I mean, you could you could argue feedlots too, but the really, I mean, if you look at total agricultural uh, impact uh, on greenhouse gases, let's say, as a general, just a big big overview, right? Big view. Uh, only four percent of greenhouse gases come from uh, animal agriculture, mm -hmm. and at least that much comes from crop agriculture at least that much but it's nothing compared to say transportation or some of these other things the thing about cows though is that the methane from cows actually is part of the carbon cycle like you wouldn't have green grass without cows you wouldn't have it would the prairies would dry up without without some kind of ruminant on there so cows uh bison sheep deer those are all ruminants so they they eat the grass Methane, of course, comes up, but it goes in the in the atmosphere and cycles back into the ground within ten year period. It's a ten year mm -hmm. cycle, and that so that actually sequesters carbon back into the soil within ten years. Mm -hmm. uh, ninety percent of the water, ninety five percent of the water that 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 um, that animal, let's say ag animals so like cows eat or drink, excuse me, comes from rainwater. So it's water that would already be on the ground and out there anyway so they're not taking from our water supply uh though they're they're a benefit uh cows are a benefit to our uh environment uh, could how we farm them or you know raise them for food improve absolutely yeah but removing them isn't is as a much more of a detriment to human health than any kind of impact on uh that, that might be on greenhouse gases yeah not even from just the aspect of like eating it yourself and getting all the nutrients but like if nature right. intended for the cows to be there to get rid of them and right now just make like a plant burger or something it's like we were not intended to eat that so that was like kind of what was so alluring to me about the whole like ancestral movement in general is just i don't know all of us are like addicted to our phones, like tanked on testosterone and eating.
process stuff. So it's like, why don't we just get back to the way that we used to be and like when we were healthy and not fat. So that'd be great. I mean, we've we've kind of, we've made these convenience foods and fast foods a part of our lifestyle now. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't that way even in the fifties, even though the foods existed, we didn't eat as much of them. We ate home cooked meals. We all ate at home. We had more normal sleep schedules. We didn't have Netflix keeping us up late. Um, It was, we were outside more. We just got outside. We just got, you know, we just had more time with other people. Uh, We weren't even exercising that much, but we were, we were just being, we're just living a better lifestyle Mm -hmm. and it's now become, you know, convenience and now it's recommended. It's gone from convenience to now this is recommended. And then we have more laws restricting the foods we really should be eating. Um, we have um, created this system that is working against us, essentially. Does coffee fit into your diet recommendation? Yes, it does. <laughs> I make room for coffee for sure. That's uh, good. Especially after raising four kids, you know. Yeah. Um, you just have, you, sometimes you need a little extra. But I enjoy it. So mm. of all the things I do, I just, I don't find a, a detriment from it personally yet. Yeah. If I do, then I'll, I reconsider. Um, I haven't had, I haven't poured myself a drink. I haven't had alcohol in a year okay. at this point. Well, it's been maybe 14 months and I've had a couple sips of something. If I wanted to taste it, my wife had a drink. I want to taste that's yeah. one thing. So I had things I wanted to accomplish. I, I was already down to drinking maybe once every couple months and, or, you know, two, three months. And I just found it wasn't serving me. So I said, you know what? I can do without this. Yeah. So, and I, and I take, try to take that approach to, to anything. If I don't find a benefit from it and I find there's some level of uh, harm or detriment, like it's holding me back from something, then mm. I, I consider getting, getting rid of it or, or greatly limiting it to the fact that it, to the point that it, it doesn't um, affect either sleep or whatever it is that it's, it's uh, negative impact would have. Uh, and that's, that's just because what I'm trying to accomplish is more important to me than what I'm putting in my mouth. You know, I mean, what I'm putting in my mouth it. serves a purpose, right? It serves a purpose. If it was marshmallows and mushrooms, that was the benefit to everything. That's why I'd be eating marshmallows and mushrooms if that was sort of yeah. truly beneficial. But that's not where the benefit is. I'm, 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 I'm going after this food, not because I worship that particular food, but because I want the result that those foods bring me and I'm avoiding others because I don't want the results that, that they bring. And uh, I think I try to think of a bigger picture. I'm motivated by making an impact, having legacy uh, with my family, you know, um, having a great career and then being able to show up for my family in a, in a way that that's um, meaningful. Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that motivate me. Yeah. Not just getting some process stuff. But right. Yeah. The, it's not entertainment. I I like the entertainment is, of food doesn't have its draw to me as much as big as what I want to accomplish. Yeah, as well as alcohol. But I was going to mention, right. obviously, you're doing your coffee black. You're not, or maybe some milk, but you're not doing any I'm sugar. I'm a black coffee obviously. drinker. Yeah, no, okay. no sugar. I'm a black coffee drinker. I love black coffee. Yeah. So, I mean, I I, like... my parents drank it. I don't know what it is. I like it. I like bitter stuff. Uh, yeah. I've always had, I've always drank black coffee. That's my preferences it's, like, it's better be good then if it's gonna be black yeah. it's better be like really good coffee and there's a lot of like studies out that like show it's like improving stuff but 
Uh, yeah, it's back and forth. There's people yeah. who argue, and there's some people who are more sensitive to the caffeine than others, and they just have to limit the amount or when they drink it because it can affect their sleep. And I totally yeah. get that. I'm not saying someone else, because it doesn't affect me, that it wouldn't affect someone else negatively. But as as of now, I get more benefit from it than yeah. than drawback. So yeah. I'm I'm keeping it. I manage it. It's mm-hmm. not like I drink as much as I want, right? Yeah. But it's well. I, it's not like I drink, something I drink all day. I have a cup, yeah. maybe a cup in the morning. I might have half a cup midday, uh, and that's it. And so, I think part of it, though, like if you're on like a diet where you're only eating like a few meals, it's like you're more cognizant of like what's going in your body. So you're probably not drinking coffee like throughout the day as much. I'd like to think. Right. Yeah. And I feel like I need it then. I, I really drink it because I enjoy it. You know, yeah. and um, it makes me kind of. I could call it a habit, but it's one that doesn't have a downside to me that's yet big enough for me to do something about it. Um, and it gives me a little extra boost when I'm, you know, between people mm-hmm. uh, and to, just to enjoy some warm coffee first thing in the morning. I start pretty early with, with clients. And so it's nice. It feels good, yeah. you know, especially on a cold winter morning. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. put something hot in my body and <laughs> yeah. get going. It's like, it's it's nice. And, yeah. and I, again, I'm not experiencing a downside. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things too is that you can reduce a lot of the supplements. Is that true for you? Like when you're getting these nutrient dense foods, you don't need to, I don't know, spend like all this time researching what supplements to take, but it's like, no, the meat is the medicine. So is that? Yeah. I, I, um, I make sure that I get some beef liver every day. Like the first thing I eat and, one or two ounces of beef liver is so nutrient dense. It's truly a superfood. Like if you yeah. look up the nutrient density of, we, we outline it in, a, in the book that I wrote with Dr. Ken Berry, kicking ass, called kicking ass after 50. So I have, I put some nutrient charts in the, in chapter three, which is all about nutrition and beef liver is the first one. If you compare that to any of the other foods, we even put kale in there. We put quinoa, we put all these other plant foods. We put a few other animal foods in there and you can see where the nutrient density is liver is king yeah and uh it has i mean vitamins minerals other micronutrients plus it has a little bit of protein there but it's really it's it's my it's my multivitamin Mm. and then i do supplement a little bit more with some magnesium and potassium just because i think in general it's just hard to get enough of those these days it's not in our water anymore like we know we've gotten that from our water or from raw dairy raw dairy is harder to find especially tennessee i don't know how it is up there but (laughs) i can get it but yeah. I'm not consuming a, a ton of it to get mm. all the potassium and magnesium. Uh, and again, it's, it's not in our spring water right anymore. So I find personally find some benefit to a little bit of magnesium and more potassium through a supplement form. I think it helps me sleep as well. But other than that, um, you know, maybe, you know, I think collagen is something that used to be more part of our diet because we'd use bones for making soup. So if you can make a bone broth or find a bone broth, get that collagen in, uh, we don't get those same proteins from muscle meat. There's two different things. Collagen does not help build muscle, but muscle meat, your typical meat from, it, it doesn't have a lot of collagen in it. So unless you're eating the, the ends off your chicken bones, whatever, <laughs> the cartilage or something, yeah. um, a little cartilage couldn't hurt for like hair, mm-hmm. skin, nails, sleep, few other functions, um, it's beneficial, but you can still find that in original animal sources pretty easily. If that's the way you want to go, it's still, it's still an animal food. 
right? It's still, you can still make it a whole animal food as when you source it. Um, but yeah, I don't do, I don't feel like I need to take multivitamins and a ton of supplements. It's just certain things where I feel like my body benefits from a little bit extra. Yeah. And I know that there's, you know, there may not be enough of it in my diet to supply everything that my body, you know, on the level that my body feels better on. Yeah. And you know, like the little, little bit of electrolytes will definitely exactly a little pickup. I guess we could talk about salt in general. Is that something that you use a lot of? Yeah. Sourced. Well, like I like, uh, Redmond's real salt there. Uh, Redmond is out of Utah. There's mm -hmm. a salt mine there and they, uh, so they make sea, basic salt, sea salt, kosher salt, and then they have seasonings and then, uh, and they make uh, a product called Relight, which I just mentioned electrolytes. They make, um, their own electrolyte product. And so I know it's sourced, like people talk about Himalayan salt or pink salt, something like that. So this is that kind of quality where it's an unprocessed salt. So it still has a lot of the minerals attached to it. Uh, it hasn't been bleached out or hyper-processed like your typical salt in the grocery store. So I feel very confident about using that on everything that I eat. Uh, there's no fear of that salt. It doesn't, it's not going to raise my blood pressure. It's not something I would restrict. I salt to the amount of taste that I want. And I, mm -hmm. and I know it's a benefit to me because it's, it's actual natural, uh, minimally processed salt. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you add that the, the electrolytes in, um, which puts even a little more sodium in, uh, real beneficial, especially when you're on, you know, low carb, you tend to lose water a little more quickly. Um, sugar tends to make you hold water. And so, and if you're active, I mean, electrolytes are a necessity yeah. and, and again, they're not in our water like they used to be. So we have to add them in. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I feel like a lot of the supplements are just to get rid of what we would have normally had if we just ate what we, we had, but yeah. Right. Um, I guess I was going to ask you, what's your uh, favorite cut of meat? If you had to, if you had to choose one. Ooh, I would have to go with ribeye. I'm a, I'm a ribeye guy. I like the, I like the fat. Food. I like the flavor. I'm a, I'm a ribeye guy. And medium sure. rare ribeye? Yeah, medium rare. I can do rare. I like rare, mm. but medium rare, I think it, yeah. it breaks the fat down a little bit more, makes it a little more juicy and, and brings out the flavor. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd go that way. My parents make fun of me sometimes for like my meat being too like rare. And I'm just like, you don't understand. This is how it's supposed no, to be. No, you're good. Yeah. yeah. And the leaner it is, the more rare you want. If you get a real rare, if you're a leaner cut, like a filet, you'd want yeah. that thing like bright red. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, is there any last things you would say as far as, I don't know, I want to get in shape, but I just feel like I don't have the motivation. Like, how do you tell someone get like, get your uh, self moving and like, you'll just keep going, like get some progress and it compounds. It does compound. It's something you will get used to and start to crave once you make it part of your life, make it consistent. But I would, I mean, guys like me, we're, we're kind of, we, we geek out on, right, the science of the effect of it. I can look at, you know, whether it's exercise or diet. It's like that understanding how that affects my body is what drives me. And so I yeah. do it because of that. But I know not everybody else is motivated by, <laughs> uh, by that effect. So I would say find something that you want to accomplish and you want to accomplish for the long term of your life and associate that with the level of fitness in your health to be able to accomplish that 
uh, and, and think about, you know, start now. Don't wait. Don't wait until you have a problem to start trying to address your health. Act preventatively, right? And this is a, your your exercise and your diet will prevent disease uh, from hitting you as, as it starts pushing it back, right? Or it can prevent it altogether. But at some point, if you don't address your health uh, preventatively, you will have to address it when you have a problem. It's yeah. going, it will catch up with you at some point. Part of it's just the whole system in general. It's like you only go to your doctor, like if you really have a problem or like the physical, they're not getting the whole uh, picture right. on what you are like doing. So you really have to take care of your health, like yourself, not from someone else telling you this doctor says to do that, but really just being proactive. And I think like listening to podcasts about health, if, that's something you're interested in or just taking the time to get the research or read your book is a great uh, resource. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The book is a great resource for anybody. I know it says kicking ass after 50, but it's like, we recommend starting as early as possible. Yeah. So start now. So it's the same elements, you know, same basic elements of diet, exercise, and sleep. Those are your foundation. Yeah. Any kind of biohack, anything else you add, those can be great. But if you don't have the foundational uh, principles in place, like, those three, for instance, you, you're going to be uh, missing a major component and you really can't make up those with a biohack, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't correct for a bad diet or a lack of movement or bad sleep with some biohack on the long term. It, yeah. You got to have the basics down. down. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the basics down for your body to function. And then you're, and then at that point you're fine tuning the last 10% or so of, mm -hmm. of, of things that you can control with your health. Um, but it's a, it's a process. I mean, it's, but fi and finding your rhythm for it, making it work in your lifestyle or with your work life or whatever it is you're, that's taking most of your time in the day, it, it can work into that, make it sustainable. And I think that's really the, the, the key there is don't try some diet or plan that is so overwhelming that you couldn't sustain it over the long term. Um, habit changes can come in, in, in layers, you know, so start yeah. with some basics like diet and a little bit of movement and make those sustainable. And then once you got that down, then layer in a little more change and so layer in a little more change over time. Don't feel like you have yeah. to turn everything around in one month and flip mm -hmm. your whole life 180 degrees. And that it's just not, it's not enjoyable. It's not sustainable. Most people don't survive that with those habits. Like their habits won't survive yeah. that kind of change. Uh, don't treat it like you're getting ready for summer or for some special event. You're getting ready for life. You're getting ready to keep making an impact in your life. Uh, you know, well past when really when most people, uh, if you look around, you know, we're getting obesity and diabetes and heart disease are coming sooner. They're coming to earlier ages now than they ever have. That's, that's scary. Yeah. And so you don't want to be one of those statistics. And that takes, that's going to take proactive action on your part. I think part of it, as far as, I don't know, what makes people like get going. Sometimes it's like for a negative, like I want to get like in shape for summer. And it's like, right. no, you want to, you want to feel good for the rest of your life. But I have one more yeah. question. Um, sure. So you've got children. So if you're, I don't know, child has a birthday or something, do you like do cake or I don't know, would you eat cake or like, is that something that just isn't a part of your lifestyle? I mean, uh, there are special occasions. We'll have a bite or two of something because mm -hmm. I'm not, cause I'm healthy. Right. So I know yeah. 
Um, but then if there's something I know, it's like, look, I'm going to feel that tomorrow or I'm not going to, yeah. because at some, this point, my stomach is so sensitive that if I eat too much of something, um, then the, it's almost like you good. just like, drink, like you're going to get over almost. Yeah. I just wouldn't feel good. And I don't want that. So as be part of the family, part of the celebration. Yeah. Maybe I cut a little piece. Sometimes I skip it all together. It just, it really depends, but I do, uh, find the most the least harmful way to myself <laughs> to try to participate at certain times if i know it, it and and try not to be you know too too dogmatic about it but i i i really um i weigh that out make the decision to be part but but limit in a way that makes sense for me yeah. um so yeah all right well that's a good answer because like everyone uh, got different stuff going on. So, you know, no, but yeah. Yeah. It's what you do 80, 90% of the time that makes the biggest impact. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If, if taking that bite of food for some people will send them in a spiral where all their bad habits come back or it triggers a food addiction or whatever that makes them, they'll keep eating that way for a, for a week or two or can throw yeah. them off completely. I'm not concerned about that. I can literally yeah. have two bites of something and be good. Mm -hmm. um, so at this point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of solid. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, respect, know your limits, know what, you know, what's best for you. If you're really, if someone's diabetic and they're really trying to turn their health around and get off insulin, the, the best thing to say is to say, look, I'm really trying to change. I'm sorry, change my health. I'm going to pass on the cake right now. That would be your best yeah. answer because that's you're, you're in a health crisis as far as I'm concerned. And there's nothing yeah. more important than fixing that. Yeah. Um, if you're in a, a level of maintenance, well, then you have a little more freedom to go off plan here and there and really the impact of what you do again, 90% of the time is really what's going to make a difference in your health. Oh, yeah. Just the basics too. Like you said, just get your sleep, mm -hmm. diet and movement. So thank you Zane for coming on. I enjoyed connecting with you and then all your knowledge and your book is great. So thank you, man. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it and really can use a lot of the stuff that uh, Zane talked about and really optimize your health. So thank you.